In the eyes of the government, if you are discussing, gathering, thinking about anything anti-government, you are now thrown into the sphere of domestic terrorism. I'm Shane Corey, and this is episode six of Independent Citizen. This is an episode I've been wanting to do and a topic I've been wanting to cover really since we started the show just uh, a few weeks ago. It's near and dear to my heart, but also very pertinent to current events and that we're seeing our government do something that it's done in the past time and time again with negative effects. The, the overall theme of this show is what happens when power is threatened, power being our government. Right now we have... 5,000 or more troops surrounding the Capitol in D.C. They're going to be there until March or April. And it was the biggest. Uh, we had 15,000 troops there for the inauguration. It's the biggest buildup of troops we've had since uh, Martin Luther King after his assassination. It's an indicator that the government is scared of its own people. And it is a show of force, not that they're truly scared, but it's a show of force to deter any negative acts, any even discussion um, that would be considered anti-government. And I just want to walk through kind of uh, the history of this and the repercussions. So right now, uh, 203 Americans have been charged as a result of the January 6th riot. They've been calling it an insurrection. They've been labeling them as domestic terrorists, white supremacists, um, you name it, any label they can tag on to anybody that was present during that riot, they want to lock up and put away. And they want to deter anyone else from engaging in anti-government discussions. There's, there's one man, a 66-year-old man from Virginia, who was referred to as commander in text messages that's uh, been on home arrest since the event. And he's um, a former FBI agent. He's, um, they're saying he's part of Oath Keepers, which they're, they label as an anti-government extremist uh, right-wing organization. Uh, he denies that. And it's um, there's hundreds more like him that may or may not uh, had organized to commit harm on January 6th. In reality, and, and after watching a lot of this footage of, of what happened that day, it's clear to me that these folks were incited through rhetoric to go and have a show of force. If you take a look at the footage when they walked into the Senate chamber, and when they were uh, not yelling, but simply advising the other rioters or the other folks that were in the Senate from the guy with the buffalo horns uh, to others that were just, you know, being disrespectful. They, they made a point of saying, hey, be, be respectful. You're on sacred ground. Know where you are. We don't, don't cause any harm. And it wasn't their exact words, but it was clear that they were there to simply make a point, not to hurt anybody. Uh, unfortunately, people did get killed, one of them. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, two officers, we talked about that in another episode, 
but you know, it was not an organized overthrow of government like we've seen in other countries. It was simply people that were upset and wanted to be heard. And yet we're labeling them as, and, and trying to, uh, especially from government prosecution to the media, define them as uh, an organized group with the intent to overthrow the government, which wasn't the case at all. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there were maybe a handful of folks that had more malicious plans. And yes, dig into that. And if that's the case, lock them up. But most folks there were simply upset and wanted to be heard and wanted to have their own show of force, which is the right of the American people. Now, let's um, step back from that and take a look at other instances where the government felt threatened or not even threatened, but embarrassed. So in, we're just going to go back to August of 1992, Ruby Ridge. I'm sure most of you guys have heard of Ruby Ridge. That was the Weaver family is Randy Weaver, his children, his wife, Vicki. U.S. Marshals had staked out the property because he had missed, Randy Weaver had missed a court appearance on firearms charges. They were staked out in the woods. Randy Weaver's 14-year-old son was out hunting with a friend. Dogs went into the woods. I believe one of the dogs was shot by a U.S. Marshal, and that caused the 14-year-old son, not knowing what the hell was going on, to return fire. U.S. Marshal killed the 14-year-old son, Sammy, and that set off 11-day siege is what the media started to portray it as. They, they labeled Randy Weaver as a white separatist. Dude was maybe a survivalist. Um, he, there, there was no racial overtones of anything that he was doing. Um, he had simply been in his cabin with his family and his son, his 14 year old son was shot and killed. Now, uh, during that 11-day siege, which was a siege by the government, uh, an FBI sniper, his name was, and this is, remember this name, Lon Tamashi Hiroshi. FBI sniper, former uh, army officer, shot and killed Vicki Weaver through the door of their home. Her body laid there on their kitchen floor for days with... Uh, the the Weaver family mourning her loss and really not knowing what to do. Randy Weaver eventually surrendered. Um, that there was a big settlement that they finally got. Uh, uh, the the FBI sniper Hirochi was charged with manslaughter, but the government pulled the charges and nothing ever happened to him. So that's August of 1992. George H. W. Bush is president of the United States. January 1993, Bill Clinton sworn in. And the very first thing, one of the first, the first major event of the Clinton administration was Waco. That set off a government spree to go after domestic terrorists. So in Waco, that was February 93. Uh, ATF was similar to Ruby Ridge. They're attempting to uh, serve a warrant on uh, David Kirsch, the leader of the Branch Davidians. And uh, I, I don't need to go into the the specifics of 
what happened there. It was horrible. If you don't know a lot about Waco, there's a lot of documentaries I'd re- recommend you you watch. There was a Netflix series, I believe, that came out um, last year that was very good and covered that. And it was basically, they went in to serve the warrant. The Branch Davidians um, saw it as a threat. They weren't, the ATF agents really didn't identify themselves. They just went in heavy. Four ATF agents were killed on that initial day. And uh, that set off another siege where you had all these branches of government and uh, uh, surround the compound and attempt to break the will in the back of the Davidians who branch Davidians who were just defending themselves initially. And it turned into a, a real standoff and it ended with 82 civilians killed. 76 in one single day. Back to that FBI sniper, Hirochi. He was there in Waco as well. He had killed Vicki Weaver back in 92 at Ruby Ridge. And while he denies taking part in any activity and was an observer at Waco, uh, the Texas Rangers did find spent rounds uh, at his position that matched um, at least the model of his rifle, but you know, no, but nothing ever happened to him. Uh, so that um, is a key as far as when you have government wrongdoing and going in and killing civilians like they did in Ruby Ridge, which was unequivocally wrong what happened there. Waco, unequivocally wrong what happened there, where the government had overwhelming force and unnecessarily killed 82 people, men, women, and children. Enter Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber. That inspired, outraged, whatever you want to call it, him to act. And he spent years. He would would make a living going and selling literature at gun shows. And he would pass out business cards with Lon Hirochi's name and home address to people, that FBI sniper. So that was always in the top of the mind, the wrongdoing by the government, by an FBI agent, an FBI sniper, and the full force of the rest of the agencies of government uh, going in and killing their citizens. Oklahoma City happened April 1995. 168 people were killed in that truck bombing, Uh, 680 injured, and nobody won in this. You had Americans, in this case, Timothy McVeigh and a lot like him, that were set off and aware of the wrongdoing both in Ruby Ridge and Waco. And to this day, that's still on the mind of many Americans when they think of the federal government, they think of the corrupt power that they have and that if you cross them, you'll end up dead just like them. And this really gets into uh, the the point of this discussion and that I, I don't, I'm not supporting domestic terrorism. Uh, what Timothy McVeigh did was absolutely horrendous. What the government did was absolutely horrendous. And it's uh, creates this tidal wave of power and arrogance and vengeance that is hard to overturn. Back to today, were 
stirring up this pot once again by labeling all these people involved in the January 6th riots as domestic terrorists. We're going back to Ruby Ridge, where we called Randy Weaver and his family white separatists. We're calling these folks white supremacists. We're we're trying to define them in any media is trying to define them in any way possible negatively so that we can, you know, the, the American public will be like, yes, go after those guys. Yes, go federal government and take them down. It's not the case. And uh, I found a, a document by the government uh, that covers the pre-incident indicators and in, in the uh, of terrorism. They're really referring to domestic terrorism, and I just want to 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 read. Just there's there's four steps, uh, three steps that occur before the terrorist act that they define. The first step. Membership in an extremist group. Pretty much anything can be labeled as an extremist group, from the Proud Boys to Antifa, Oath Keepers, the Elf uh, Echo Terrorist Faction. An extremist group is anything you want to define as an extremist group. In the case of the Proud Boys, uh, I, I know a lot of those folks. They're radical uh, uh, do they go out and sit around and plot uh, acts of domestic terrorism? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They they plot stunts and um, uh, a showing of force against their opposition being Antifa and vice versa. But they're not their core existence is not to uh, incite any type of terrorism or uh, overthrow the government. They want to change government, which is our right. It's our Actually, it's our right to overthrow the government as well, per the Declaration of Independence. But that's not why they exist. Yet we label them as extremist groups. And now, in this case, after January 6th, we label them as domestic terrorists. So going down back to this, this list of the pre-indicators of terrorism, attendance at rallies or demonstrations. I mean... <laughs> That is um, I, I find that as an absurd definition. And this is, you know, this is the government's way of identifying people to start surveilling them, to start you know, cracking down, monitoring everything they do and going after them. So if you attended a, a Trump rally in 2016, in 2020, you're thrown into this. If you attended, let's just say, even a Biden drive-in rally, um, anything, you know, this one little thing is just pure silliness by the government, but that's kind of like the, they might as well just thrown in, uh, be a white male in this list as well, because that's really what happens. Uh, exposure to internet sites. Okay. Um, personal recruitment. That makes a little more sense. But for personal recruitment for reasons of terrorism would make sense. And then the last indicator is accessing extremist literature. The Federalist Papers, which were a series of letters uh, published uh, before the Revolutionary War. The Anti-Federalist Papers, it was an ongoing debate. Those were seditious written works opposing the British government. That was extremist literature. 
This gets into freedom of speech, freedom of association, and a number of other things. But in the eyes of the government, and this is where we get into the danger of all this, in the eyes of the government, if you are discussing, gathering, thinking about anything anti-government, you are now thrown into the sphere of domestic terrorism. That happened on the Clinton administration and the Attorney General Janet Reno. In the first month of the Clinton administration, Waco occurred and they spent remaining years cracking down on what they saw as domestic terrorists. What they don't do is open a dialogue, attempt to understand any of these extremist groups. Members of Congress, it's their duty to go out and speak to their electorate, to speak to their constituents. And when you have a group of people, which isn't very difficult to reach out to, just go to one of their rallies, or maybe you'll be defined as uh, an extremist yourself, so they don't do that. Um, But you don't go with the understanding of what is their grievance? What is their concern? And how can we at least find common ground on a solution? Doesn't happen. Government will automatically take a stance against what they consider an extremist group, which again, anything can be labeled as extremist group, and treat them as terrorists, which you don't negotiate with terrorists. So of course, you're not going to go and sit down with any extremist group and try and understand just what their issue may be, whether it's Antifa, uh, Elf, I believe, the eco-terrorists, you name it. There's many ways you can have peaceful resolution just by opening dialogue, and that's something our government doesn't do. When the government escalates against the American people, the American people are going to push back. And in the end, the American people win. Government still maintains power. They still have the force, but you have a loss of life, either like what we saw in Waco with 82 killed or the actions of Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City. It's a lose-lose scenario. Nobody wins. And if what we see today in Congress, if these members of Congress would get out from hiding behind the weapons of National Guard troops and sit down with the people who elected them, we could ease tensions immediately. Instead, we're rounding them up and arresting them. So think about that. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for for watching this episode. I hope you take a minute to subscribe, like, share, all the other stuff you're supposed to do on YouTube and the other platforms. And I thank you for watching. 